A Chinese citizen does not automatically have the right to live and work in Hong Kong. They need to be able to go through the immigration process, which actually, you know, many times can be very difficult and quite complicated for many of them, especially if they are not from southern China. Hi, this is Anita from the Dusty Roads podcast and from the blog, A Bus on a Dusty Road. Today, I want to talk a little bit about Hong Kong and China. And I've actually lived in both places, so I feel like this is probably something I'm qualified to talk about. In 1997, when Hong Kong reverted back to China, I had just moved back to Hong Kong. In fact, I moved back to Hong Kong in 1997, about five months before the handover ceremonies took place. So I was there actually in Hong Kong during all the handover ceremonies when when Hong Kong be officially became part of China. So a question that a lot of people sort of ask is, Hong Kong a separate country or is Hong Kong really a part of China? In order to understand this, we really need to go back to the basic law. And Hong Kong has a law which is kind of a little bit like the constitution and it's called the Hong Kong Basic Law. And the Hong Kong Basic Law kind of sets out the rights of individuals and citizens of Hong Kong. And in the Basic Law, in Article 1, it clearly says, the Hong Kong Special Administrative Region is an inalienable part of the People's Republic of China. So right there, at the very beginning, and the very first article of the Basic Law, it basically says, Hong is part of China. And what the Chinese have basically said is that it, you know, Hong Kong is um the Hong Kong and China are one country but two systems. I remember when the Hong Kong reverted back to to China. And I always used to joke with people and say, yeah, the thing that changed the most was that, you know, before you'd go into the government offices, you see a picture of the Queen of England. And you see these, you know, red mailboxes, which, by the way, I love the British red mailboxes. And suddenly the mailboxes became purple. And the you know, the, the Queen of England was no longer in the public offices and, and you, you know, no longer saw her picture anywhere. And suddenly from the British flag flying, there was the, the Hong Kong Special Administrative Region flag. And so, you know, those were really a lot of the main changes. Like we didn't really see a lot of the soldiers or others there. So without a doubt, Hong Kong is part of China or Say we, I guess you could look at another one and say China's part of Hong Kong, but really Hong Kong is part of China. But where it starts to get really messy is, is Article 2 of the Basic Law. And this is where I feel like for myself personally, where I feel like the law gets a little bit messy and, and where there can be like a lot of confusion. Lately, you've seen a lot of like, um, you know, protests going on in Hong Kong. People have been upset. People have been, you know, you know, wondering about it. Again, in Article 2 of the Basic Law, it states, the National People's Congress authorizes the Hong Kong Special Administrative Region to exercise a high degree of autonomy and enjoy executive legislative, and independent judicial powers, including that of final education in accordance with the provisions of this law. So in other words, right there, the basic law, you know, too, says that they have a high degree of autonomy, you know, that they should have a high degree of autonomy. And that's where China's always said, you know, China's always sold it and said, Hong Kong is one country, two systems. You know, we're one country, but two systems. 
um, you know, there they talk about that Hong Kong's supposed to have this great degree of autonomy and that they're supposed to have this independent judicial power. What's interesting about this, it doesn't really spell it out in specifics. So it is kind of a little bit vague. What does it really mean with a high degree of autonomy? What does high degree really mean? How much is the autonomy? And that's where I feel like things have gotten really messy because, you know, Hong Kong has felt that they're no longer an independent country with two systems and said that they feel like they're being swallowed up to become part of China. And Article 4 of the Basic Law goes on to clarify this, and it says, the Hong Kong Special Administrative Region shall safeguard the rights and freedoms of the residents of the Hong Kong Special Administrative Region and other persons in the region in accordance with law. So the people there are told that they will have their rights and their freedoms will be safeguarded. You know, and they're, they'll have this great degree of autonomy and freedom. And, you know, and compared to many parts of China, uh, they do. But also now, you know, China, a lot of parts of China now uh, feel a lot like Hong Kong, vice versa. You know, Shanghai, Guangzhou, you know, there, there's except for the fact that in, in, in China, you still can't really get on YouTube. You can't get on Facebook. You know, the Chinese really are not engaged with the world as far as it goes with social media and other things. Hong Kong, you can get on YouTube, you can get on Facebook, they have Western News, um, you know, all of those things you will find in Hong Kong, which the Chinese look upon as a great high degree of autonomy that they have. Then in Article 5, it says the socialist systems and policy shall not be practiced in the Hong Kong Special Administrative Region and the previous capitalist system, the way of life shall remain unchanged for 50 years. So the Chinese have almost pr only promised that Hong Kong's way of life will remain unchanged for 50 years. After 50 years, we really don't know. Is it going to revert back to China? Is, um, you know, what are the changes going to be? Nobody really quite knows what the changes will be after these 50 years. And so that really is you know, the, the interesting part of this. You know, will, will China become... You know, will Hong Kong then become a socialist country then? Will they be, you know, be swallowed up and become, you know, completely part of China? Or will they still remain one country, two systems? The interesting part of this, and having lived in Hong Kong, and having worked in Hong Kong, and having lived and worked in China, is the Hong Kong people feel very much like they are Hong Kong. They do not feel like they're necessarily a mainland Chinese you know, that becomes a little bit of the difference, you know, some of the differences here. In Article 8 of the Basic Law, it states that the laws previously enforced in Hong Kong, that is the common law, rule of equity, ordinances, subordinate um, legislation, and customary law shall be maintained except for any that contravene this law and subject to any amendments by the legislature of the Hong Kong Special Administrative Region. I have studied um, Chinese law. In fact, I have what's called, this can be a lot of alphabet soup behind it, but MMLCBLA, which basically stands for Master's of Law, Chinese Business Law. I took a course in Hong Kong on Chinese business law. And I took the course because I was quite curious about Chinese business law. I wanted to understand more about Chinese business law. And I wanted to sort of, you know, just just have this sort of like this knowledge and understanding. I, I am myself, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a practicing lawyer, but I figured having, you know, living and working in China and in these countries, it was important for me to be able to understand a lot about the laws. And one thing that really stuck out for me in the study of the Chinese law 
was that throughout the Chinese law and throughout the, the, the legal system of China, if you read the Chinese constitution, you know, it almost reads and sounds like the U.S. Constitution. And when I read it, I'm like, oh, my goodness, like, you know, like this could have been written by the American forefathers. I mean, the way the Constitution reads, you would think there was total freedom in China, that there was, you know, that they had the freedom to vote, the freedom for everything. Except the Chinese always have one word in there, except it goes against the state. You know, in, in China, you have complete freedom, except it goes against the state. And that's what I kind of read in this when I look at this, where it says, you know, ex, um, except for any that contravene this law. That basically, you know, there's the, the Chinese sort of love. I, I've decided that having read the Chinese laws and studied the Chinese laws that they sort of love the sort of vagueness of the laws. You know, you know, the lawyers and people that are in law, you know, we want the law to be precise. We want the law to be exact. You want to be able to read the law, understand the law, and know exactly what the law is about. You know, but, you know, especially if you're in business, you want to be able to read the law, know the law. I can do this. I can't do this. And then you want to know exactly what that law is about. But um, in the Chinese law, and also in this basic law, there's a lot of fuzziness going on that I see personally. This is my own personal opinion. Like I said, I'm not a lawyer, but this is from me having studied Chinese law. And that was my feeling under Chinese law. Because if you read the Chinese laws and you study the Chinese laws, you know, it talks about due process. It talks about, you know, the right to vote. It talks about the rights of freedoms. It talks about all of these things. But then in every single law is except it goes against the state. And what does that mean? You know, like, what exactly does it mean? Like, you have the right to vote, except it goes against the state. You have the right for freedom, except it goes against the state. So that's where I think that, you know, for a lot of these laws that, that it's, 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 where one of the, some of the problems is, as I personally see it myself, is that it's one country, two systems. But in Hong Kong, you have, people who are used to the Western way of the system. They're used to the law being precise, the law being exact. They're used to understanding the law. Whereas in China, the law is very much, there's, you know, it's except it goes against the state. So basically, you know, basically saying that you can do anything you want to do, except if the state doesn't like it, you can't do it. So you need to really understand what is it the state likes or the state doesn't like. And that's why in China, you'll see things like, like I had one of my uh, former managers, her mother-in-law was a Falun Gong, which the Chinese do not like the Falun Gong, which is a religious, um, you know, organization. And she, you know, got arrested. And for like three months, they didn't even know she was arrested because they considered the Falun Gong, of course, you know, unless they went against the state. And then, you know, so she didn't really have the right for due process to get a lawyer immediately for her family to know where she was, et cetera, et cetera, because she went against the state. So, you know, that's why this kind of like this way of thinking is sort of important. Um, I want to talk a little bit about why China and Hong Kong are one country and two systems. And and if, if you haven't been to these this parts of the world, this is kind of an interesting thing for you to understand a little bit of what's going on there. First of all is the border control. 
in order, you cannot just go freely from China to Hong Kong. There is a border control. There are two separate immigrations. There are two separate border controls. A Chinese person must have the right to go to Hong Kong. They must have a visa. And a Hong Kong person must have the right to go to China. So, you know, all of that hasn't really changed. You must still have the right between both of them. You must go through the border control when you go in. Also, the, the right of abode. There's a huge thing here about what's called the right of abode. And the right of abode in Hong Kong is basically like, do you have the right to live and work in Hong Kong? A Chinese citizen does not automatically have the right to live and work in Hong Kong. They need to be able to go through the immigration process, which actually, you know, many times can be very difficult and quite complicated for many of them, especially if they are not from Southern China. You know, I have found that those that are from Southern China, maybe, you know, going up visiting Hong Kong may be easier, uh, maybe for some of the major cities, but somebody that might be out in the middle of nowhere, it may be more difficult for them to get to Hong Kong. You know, so, you know, so it's just not like every Chinese citizen can suddenly go to Hong Kong because they want to go there. They still have to go through the immigration process and they don't have the right to, to live there just because they're Chinese citizens. They have to have the right. And, you know, that goes back to my third point is that Chinese must get visas to Hong Kong and a Hong Kong person must get visas or must have the right to go into China. Um, you know, the legal system, they both have very different legal systems. You know, in, in Hong Kong, the official language in Hong Kong is still English and Chinese. This means that as a foreigner, if you have to go to court in Hong Kong or you need to do government things, you can do so by in English. The paperwork, the documents can all will all be in English. You can do your taxes in English. You can do everything in English. That English is one of the official languages of Hong Kong. Not so true with China. China, it is Putonghua or Mandarin Chinese. So you have to really be able to speak, read, and write Chinese. The financial systems are both very different. In 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 you know Hong Kong has been been considered a financial or a banking capital of the world. You know the transactions, the way money flow in and out is very different. Whereas you know Hong Kong, you can have a U.S. dollar bank account. You can have a you know you can keep foreign currency. You can you know easily get foreign currency out of the country. You know foreign currency is very much a part of Hong Kong's banking system. In China, that is not true. It's a lot more difficult. There's a lot more foreign currency and and currency controls within China. Um, the, you know, social media and other freedoms, you know, in China, it's very difficult to get on many types of social media, you know, including, you know, Google, uh, Facebook, WhatsApp, uh, YouTube, uh, Instagram, those are all very difficult. In fact, to get on them, you really need to have a VPN, but a VPN is not quite legal in China. If you want to be able to watch like Prime Video, you want to, you know, get onto YouTube to see the news, you really need to be able to have a VPN to get around the Great Firewall of China. And to be honest with you, the average Chinese just doesn't have that. They're, um, it's, it's very difficult for them to get. It's a very hard thing for them to get. And so, you know, most Chinese do not bother with, um, you know, getting on things like Facebook, WhatsApp, and other things. And I personally myself have felt like uh, this is a way of uh, competition. It's, 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 it sort of works on both sides. And that the factories that want to export 
you know, to the rest of the world, they don't really have the ability to gauge in the world where the world's engaging because they can't be on these platforms. It's difficult for them to be on the platforms. And then factories that want to sell in, people that want to sell into China, it's also difficult because it's a whole new social media system. It's a whole new way of working it's because China really has their own social media platforms, which are very much for China and Chinese. Elections and democracy is very different. In Hong Kong, the Hong Kong citizens have the right to run for an office and be elected into an office. You know, and this is where in the past there's been a lot of issues for that. In China, that's not true. You don't. You know, China does have some elections at the village level and things, but it's it's really like, again, it's that unless it goes against the state, you know, you can be elected, but you can't go against the state. So, so in other words, as long as you're, you know, pro-China, pro, pro-communism, pro-socialism, pro, you know, the, the the People's, you know, Republic of China, you you can be elected. You can you can be, you know, in this election. But if it goes against the state, you have a problem. So, you know, so that's why you know that's why you can see, you know, there's a difference between. Hong Kong and and China that, you know, it is one country and two systems, but in the same way, it's one country. So it's it's kind of like this really sort of like fuzzy area, which for me personally, I think it'll be very interesting to see what does happen 50 years from now. You know, I'm not sure if I'll be alive then, but it won't be quite 50 years because it was in 1997. So it's actually coming up to be you know, it's coming up actually relatively soon here. It'll be interesting to see what are the changes that take place. And I think a lot of that will be like, does China open its door more? Does China become more, you know, a free democratic society? Or does China go back more to um, socialism? Or do they crack down harder? I think that that will make a real um, difference between this and exactly what happens in the world order between now and then.